Welcome to the Pokes Podcast. I'm Jacob Longin. Jason Collington is a Stillwater native who grew up reading the Tulsa world. After his 1998 graduation from OSU and what is now the School of Media and Strategic Communications, he worked for the Associated Press before being hired by the world. He spent the next 21 years climbing the company's ladder, reaching the top to become the publication's new editor on October 1st, 2020. About 60 days later, he joined me for a conversation about the future of journalism, his goals for the Tulsa world, and his advice for up-and-coming communicators. He also explained why he tells everyone they should be a quitter. So you are now the editor of the Tulsa World. For people who are not in the journalism industry, they may not always understand what an editor means. They may think of it as like a uh, copy editor, but that's different than what you're doing. Can, can you explain that? Sure. I, I get the honor and privilege to be the top editor, supervisor, uh, supporter, cheerleader of what I believe is the best uh, newspaper in Oklahoma, the Tulsa World. I um, get to work with an incredible group of journalists, some of the most dedicated people you ever meet, and together we work to uh, produce the most complete news report seven days a week, 365 days a year. We've been doing it for 115 years. I'm honored to be the 10th editor in the Tulsa World's history. And um, it's a job that was my dream job and very, very happy. October 1st was my first day. I just celebrated day 60 and um, it's, it's been a great time. Uh, we've got a lot, we've got a lot of important work to do. And so what I try to do is I try to find out, you know, they say that, you know, you, when you're at the top, that people work for you. And I really see it's the other way around. I work, for, I work for the staff. And so uh, they get the questions from me of, what do you need? What needs to be moved out of the way? What problems do you have? So I try to, I'm naturally, my personality is to be a fixer. And so this fits pretty well with that. If you come to me with a problem, I just want to try to fix it real quick and uh, get to a good solution. Um, but we have a great, great foundation. I got here 21 years ago. Uh, Joe Worley was the executive editor then. And then Susan Auerbach was the managing editor. And then she succeeded him. Um, and then I'm, I'm now, she retired on September 30th. And so I'm, I have a great foundation that Joe and Susan built here. And I am just very, very excited, pumped every day, don't sleep much, and excited about what we're doing in Tulsa. So as the editor, you're just talking about your job is to help people, but you're also in a position where you have to make decisions about what is uh, worth running and not or worth pursuing and not. I'm sure that has to be both rewarding and difficult at times, right? Uh, Oklahoma is a hotbed of news. There is so much news going on. Not only do we have this deadly virus that unfortunately is uh, causing havoc, we also have tons of news going on when it comes to our state government, when it comes to our education system, when it comes to health, when it comes to local politics. Um, it has been a definitely a... Um, Oklahoma has always been an interesting place uh, for news. We, we, we always have no problem filling up the newspaper every day and updating our website. So, yes, we, we do kind of set a news agenda of what we think is important, uh, what we want to look at, what we want to do a deep dive into. For example, the largest school district in Oklahoma is Epic Charter Schools now. It is the largest with the population. And Andrea Eager has launched 
an investigation over the last two to three years, really breaking some things on that story and finding out some things that no one else knew. And now we've got a state audit. Now we've got some more audits that are coming. But her reporting has directly influenced what's been going on there. And so, yes, that was something that started, you know, that's two or three years ago before uh, I was editor. I was deputy managing editor, but, you know, I was mainly in, a, in an assistant role trying to help the executive editor and managing editor to do the things that needed to get done. Needed to get done. But no, we, we do decide what we want to write about, what we want to go after. There's a couple other big investigative things that we're working on right now, because again, there's so much to do. But I, I would say that it's it's deciding what's the news, it's deciding where to put the news. Uh, we also, you know, we have one of the most popular websites in Oklahoma, Tulsaworld.com. So we're updating that throughout the day, every day. We got 20 different social media accounts. There's a lot of things that we do uh, to try to get the news to people. But we also do entertainment. We also do sports. We also do all all those things as well. So. It's a, uh, it's a it's a collaborative effort where we've got great editors that are in charge of great journalists, and it's, it's, it's a fun place to work. One of the things that I'm trying to do here at the Tulsa World is kind of reintroduce ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, for 115 years, we've been a newspaper seven days a week that has slapped the, the driveway or the porch or the grass or your roof, wherever the, the paper has landed over the years. We are not just that anymore. We mm-hmm. are a news organization that is spending as much time on the text as we are on the video. We have six full-time photographers who are in a visual world presenting video stories, photo stories. We're in the breaking news. We'll, we'll send you a breaking news alert on your app if you download our free Tulsa World app. But we're also going to turn around and give you a special section that commemorates the upcoming 100th anniversary of the Tulsa Race Master. So we are so many things now. And so I think one of the things I'm trying to do and going to be doing in 2021 is kind of reintroduce the Tulsa world to our community and to everyone. We have something that people are interested in. And one of our jobs we have to do is we have to let people know that. On the advertising side, we're not just, we don't just sell squares and rectangles in print. (laughs) We are a full-fledged digital agency. We can help you with your email campaign. We can build your website. We can shoot your TV commercial. We can do your your marketing for you. We have trained professionals and have a full-fledged digital agency that just happens to, which is kind of a competitive advantage, is also a part of the most popular website, one of the most popular websites in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, you can go to a digital agency and then they can try to get something in the social world, or you can go to a digital agency that works with a newsroom every single day. And so we have advantages and we have things that can help small businesses. Small businesses are the background of, of, of America. And I am a person who's trying to reintroduce on the news side of things uh, what we're trying to do, but also at the same time, uh, letting people know that, you know, if you're a struggling business, you might want to get with a business that's been around 150 years, has been a successful business all that time, and also can really get your message out to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. We are in a lot of not only I think only junk mail goes to more homes in the Tulsa world. <laughs> no, the Tulsa market, seriously. And so my thing is, is that rather than being part of the mail that's junked out, be a part of the thing that is welcomed into the, into the home and is completely consumed. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll get a much more better bang on your buck if you do that. But as I said, I, I think in the next year, reintroducing the Tulsa world and letting people know who we are and what we do, I think it's really important. I think 
there's a, that media is a very sticky label. The media. And I'm trying to let everyone know we're local journalists. That's different. We're not talking heads, cable news channel stuff. We are deep and invested in what's going on locally and finding getting to the bottom of things locally and finding out what's going on locally in a dedicated newsroom of some of the best journalists in the country. And the th simple thing is, is that if you don't support things that are important, they will go away. Mm -hmm. How many times have we heard your friends say, oh, I can't believe that restaurant closed. I haven't been there in five years. Yeah. Well, if it was so important, you should have gone a couple times. You know, important things will go away unless you support true relationships. That's true in businesses. That's true in so many things. And we're really seeing that right now in this pandemic. Things that aren't getting that support are going away. Yeah. And I'm telling you, you don't want to do this without a flashlight. Mm. You don't want to go through this world without a newsroom of people dedicated to getting to the bottom of things going on and things you should know about. I mean, how many thousands, hundreds of thousands of times have people been sharing and reading where the free testing sites are for COVID in Tulsa? Mm -hmm. Yeah, people keep clicking on that. You know why? Because it's not easy to find, but we made it easy to find. Oh my gosh, I don't understand what's going on with this thing over here with all my taxpayers money. Well, Barbara Holbrook, an OSU grad, is in Oklahoma City at our Capitol Bureau, and she's sitting there talking to the agency heads and putting them to task on something. No one would know a lot of what Barbara would write about because there's no one else doing what she does over there. Mm -hmm. They're just not doing it. The Tulsa world is. And so who's going to do it if we're not here? Nobody. Mm -hmm. We're not doing it now. No one produces what we produce at our level, at our depth, at our width, than what we do. And so if you care about what's going on, if you want to quit saying, I didn't know that, or I don't know, it's amazing. There's this place that's on demand, on a mission to serve. Mm. That's what we are. I'm trying to build the, the greatest newsroom in America here in Tulsa. We've got 11 OSU graduates in our newsroom, by the way. Proud to say, I'm one of those. So many OSU graduates have come from Tulsa, got their start in Tulsa, have gone on to other places. What I'm trying to do is not only put out a great news report every day, I'm also trying to let people know that we're here to serve. You have to support who serves you. You have to support. I mean, we've got, we got discounted digital subscriptions. You spend more at Arby's a month than you would on digital subscription with the Tulsa World. That's one thing I just want to really get out there and let people know that, you know, if you, if you don't support us and you don't believe in wanting to know what's going on, think about that for a second. And try to do this alone. I would not want to go at this world alone without <laughs> some confirmed facts on my side. If someone were to ask you what journalism means, I feel like that may have changed, or at least we may have to be a little more specific in the modern day because there's so much uh, information. There's so many ways people can get information. So what do you tell someone about what journalism is or how journalism differs from some of the other uh, ways people can get information, especially on the web now? For me, uh, I'm going to start with my definition of news and then get to journalism. My definition of news is what people are talking about and what they should be talking about. Mm. Those are kind of my two things. Those are the two buckets that we kind of pull from uh, when we're trying to make the, new, the, the, the complete news report uh, on a daily basis. 
And again, it's a mix. It's 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 important, um, and it's interesting, and it's information, and it's content. When it comes to journalism, I think it's putting important information out in an interesting way. Mm. One of the things I always say is that journalism is just is a lot like football. You can't sit there and think about how you're going to tackle. Mm. And one of these days, when I start tackling, I'm going to tackle this one. You just got to tackle. That's how you get good at tackling. It's tackling people. And in journalism, you, you got to just do it to get there. And uh, Randy Crable, uh, one of our veteran political reporters uh, and an OSU alum, said something in an interview that I thought was perfect. He says, you have to understand something deeply to write about it simply. Mm. And I think that is so true. That is journalism. It's yeah. when you have journalists who know a subject deeply that they can write about it simply so you can go from the gobbledygook that's coming out of either a politician's mouth or a scientist's mouth or a whatever, you know, that they translate the world for you in an easy-to-understand way with brevity, with ex- with accuracy, and with a with a mission to help. I mean, we, we serve people as journalists. We answer questions. We get to the bottom of things. We explain, we dig, we'll go for that open record request that the citizen can't do themselves or doesn't want to do. Um, we put you where you can't be. I think some of the best sports columns, I believe, is when you combine access with insight. Mm-hmm. You know, Bill Haston uh, can be on the front row of a basketball game and you can see things and be have interviews with coaches. Access, insight, that's journalism. And so I think that that is the way, and, it, and as you said, there's a lot of ways to get different kinds of journalism. I argue that in my market in Tulsa, that there's not a lot of people that do what we do. Mm-hmm. We don't have a lot of people that are digging deep into the biggest issues that are most relevant. And relevancy is also a very big part of journalism. It's not just information, it's information that's relevant. So one of the things that we try to do here is we try to find out, again, what should people be talking about? What are they talking about? What should they be talking about? Here's a big, huge thing that we're working on that no one knows is happening. They should know about that. So there's their journalism, I think, is a and has always been a place where you can go to learn things, be informed on things, argue about things. For me and my dad, my journalism introduction started at the Sunday dinner table uh, with my dad and I, with the Oklahoman, the Coastal World, the Stillwater News Press sitting there on Sundays and uh, arguing back and forth. It's kind of where I learned where if I don't agree with someone, I can still listen to them. Mm-hmm. We can have a conversation. My dad would sl- you know, slap an op-ed in front of me and go, you got to read this. And then I'd turn around, no, you got to read this. And then we'd have a conversation. And I think that's what journalism does. Journalism kind of opens your mind up. We had an old marketing slogan that was called, the Tulsa world, we deliver you from the unknown. Mm. And I think that that is so true. If you go to a lot of dinner parties or, and you you hear a lot of, oh, I didn't know that. And I didn't even know that was a thing. Um, that's probably someone who's not reading. Mm. Um, that's someone who's probably not consuming journalism on a regular basis. Because our job is to let you know about things that are happening. We, you know, Parler's been uh, a new social media platform mm. that's been popping up. We had Randy write a story about what is Parler? What, is the, what are the politics of it? Why was it created? Who is getting on it? Um, that's journalism. It's where we take something that people are talking about and we let you know what's really going on. 
Because as you know, Jacob, there's a lot of misinformation out there. There's yeah. a lot of people that are meaning to put misinformation out there. I mean, myths are real because people create them. Mm-hmm. And you, it's kind of like, you know, the old saying says, just because you say it 15 times doesn't make it true. Mm-hmm. But it works. Misinformation is shared more than real information. Misinformation can be stuck in a person's brain from five years ago, just like a good marketing slogan can be. And I have a voicemail every day and an inbox every day of people who are, why aren't you putting this X misinformation in the Tulsa world on the front page? Mm-hmm. And I'll be happy to explain that we only deal in confirmed facts that are verified evidence. And when we have that, I guarantee you that it'll be on the front page of the Tulsa world. But until then, uh, we're going to have an explainer that goes through a controversial topic or a controversial story that ended up either being true or not true. Because again, uh, as I learned in Joey Sinnott's class, <laughs> public affairs way back in the 90s, is that people lie all the time. Yes. And they are trying to get their lies in publication. And they're trying to get their lies on the internet. And they're trying to get their lies on podcasts. And there's a really good book out now that's uh, talking to strangers on Malcolm Gladwell. If you default the truth, you're going to get in trouble. Mm. You've got to verify what's going on. You have to verify what's happening. Uh, my email uh, popped up earlier of this, this rumor that's going around Tulsa. And it's not true. And it's easily, you can easily confirm if it's true or not. But we're going to go ahead and write a story because obviously when you still get enough people thinking, oh, why aren't you reporting on this, Jason? Oh, my gosh, this is, well, it's because it's not true. But now we need to write a story about it not being true Mm. (laughs) and saying that there's a viral post out there that says this is a thing. And guess what, people? It's not a thing because we made literally one phone call that could confirm this information (laughs) and it's not true. Uh, So. uh, so, but no, my, my inbox and my voicemail very many times uh, are just people who are just cannot believe that the Tulsa world has not published this story. Well, because it's not true. Mm. And that I would say that the thing that has changed over the last two decades in my interactions with the public is they really, really think something they believe is true. Mm. And they really, really need to see it in their paper. And again, I love the ownership. I love the fact that they want to see news in their paper and they consider it their paper Uh, i love that i work for them we tell our subscribers all the time we work to earn your subscription every day and so i i love the ownership but there's a couple things that are never going to change and one of them is that we're going to only print confirmed facts and we're going to write stories and dig into things that we think are very relevant to you your family the business that you work at uh, the community and so that's kind of what I think journalism is now. It's, it's again, we take it we take a beating sometimes, but I'm telling you, our subscriptions are growing. Mm. The number of people who are coming to the Tulsa World for the Truth is growing, and so we believe that we have a model here that's going to continue. I'm a little bit younger than you, but I went through Stillwater Public Schools, same as you did. I went through OSU's journalism school, same as you did. And one thing I was taught and I strongly believed when I was younger was uh, the idea of the marketplace of ideas. And if anybody listening doesn't know that, it's basically, you know, you kind of hear all of all of the different arguments and the truth should rise to the top. And I believed with the internet 
that we would get to a point where we had that. We would have a marketplace of ideas, but it seems to me that's not really what we have. We have, with the internet and with cable news and whatever else you want to cite, you can go and find news, quote unquote news, that confirms what you already believe, and you're in a bubble, you're in a silo. It's not a marketplace of ideas in most cases. But do you agree with me on that? Yeah, but I also think that bubbles can be burst. Yeah. I I think that there are, just because you live in a bubble doesn't mean that's where you're going to be the rest of your life. I think that one of the things that I've tried to do myself in my own life is shut up and listen. Mm. You know, don't think about what you're going to say while the person's talking. Shut up and listen. And I think that one of the things that we have, I'm trying to work with my 14-year-old daughter on this too, is you, you've got to be careful when you make a judgment before you do the research. You know, one of my things as an early writer, I would I would think I knew what the story was, Jacob, so I'd start writing, you know, oh, this the story's this, before I did a liquor report. Mm-hmm. And you know what? You can't write what you don't report. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that I've, when, when coaching young writers, do some reporting before you start writing. Go ask some people. Go talk to this person. Go talk to this person. If you're doing a deep profile, make sure you talk to the ex-spouse. I mean, find it, do some reporting and find what's going on and then start thinking about what you're going to write. I, but I, I think that the, I think the word bubble is the right word. And I think bubbles are easy to burst. And I think it's because some people need either a very heated argument to bust out of that bubble. Sometimes that works. Many times it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you need to read one thing. I, I know that that sometimes you will grow up in a household where you are, the belief is this. Yeah. Dad believes it, mom believes it, so therefore you believe it. And then you read that book or you see that documentary or you see a real life experience. And then you go, hold on a second. That's, that might've been true for my dad's generation, but for this generation, this is now what's true. And so I'm, I'm, I'm someone who really believes you're one sentence away from changing your mind. Mm. You really are. And we write a lot of sentences and we write it. We do a lot of reporting. And I think that when you're one sentence away from changing your mind, I know I've changed my mind on some things. And my, my daughter and I at 14, you know, we're having these discussions about topics. She's getting into documentaries and, you know, these YouTube shows where they pick myths and kind of bust them up and stuff. And what's interesting is that she'll think she knows, she thinks she thinks this, but then she's like, oh, wait, but then I actually, you know, went to the Google and I typed in a couple words and now I believe this. And so it's like, yeah, well, wait, wait until you read this book. And then you're going to be like, oh, wait a second. Now I, you know, so that's what I think is great. I, I think it's, I think you're always one sentence away from learning something new and making you feel something different. When you feel something different, then you start thinking something different. When you think something different, then you know something different. Mm. Those are all connected. And I think that reading really has a way, and again, conversations too. I mean, there's one thing about reading about World War II. There's another thing about sitting next to a War II vet and having mm-hmm. a conversation. You know, but this marketplace of ideas. It's also I want to say I also believe in a listening to many perspectives. Mm-hmm. You should listen to the perspective of someone you disagree with or someone who has a very staunch view on this subject. And again, if you shut up and listen and don't try to fight them. <laughs> Uh, Adam Grant has done a lot of research in this area where you're critical because you want to show that you're smart. 
Mm. Let me be critical of this so I can show you how smart I am. Mm -hmm. And that is so rampant. And it's like, well, don't be critical of it. Just read it. Understand what it is. Understand that that's one perspective. And luckily, we live in a country of many perspectives. Uh, we try to do that on our opinion page every day, is to bring you some, some ideas that you don't have that may make you go, wait a second, on this topic or this topic, this person's an expert. They've been doing this for a long time, and this is what they think. You know, you talk to new cops and retired cops, they've got dis different perspectives on society today. Yeah. So I'm, I'm always someone who believes that not only the marketplace of ideas, but also that there can be many perspectives and we can eat dinner and go home and it's going to be okay. Mm. Well, and to be clear, I, I love the concept of the marketplace of ideas. And I think that the potential is still there. I just think most people won't seek it out. Well, and, I, and again, I, I always caution about, you know, using, you know, to paint a lot of people with a wide brush. You know, mm -hmm. There are people who are going to be on their journey wherever they are. It's over the years, a person's gone through this phase and this phase and this phase. And I'm still an optimist on people getting there. The number of people who get it, I think, is increasing. But sometimes you, you question that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> sometimes you're like, wow, did, that, did a, that many people think that was a great idea? But I think one of the things also is that some things will last. I mean, a book will last forever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's interesting now, some of the books that people are reading and are jumping back on the bestseller list from years and decades old, where that truth is still true. Mm -hmm. That truth is still, it may not have been appreciated then. I mean, how many artists right. do we know of that, oh, they were nobody back in the day, but man, 100 years later, they, <laughs> everyone knows who they are. Mm -hmm. um, so that marketplace of ideas, I think some ideas may be dormant for a while, but I think they make their way back. I mean, unfortunately, we have a, a horrible history uh, when it comes to women, when it comes to Native Americans, when it comes to African Americans. And so luckily, there are shifts in the culture and things start changing. And then you start seeing things that, you know, your grandparents just say, oh, I never thought that would ever happen in my lifetime. I love those kinds of things that happen that are come out of the blue, that we're so deeply entrenched that we've been able to, we've made so much progress. Mm -hmm. We really have. I mean, it's easy to see what we don't what we don't do well, but I think that a learned culture that reads and conversates and discusses ideas, I think we're still getting some progress. And I think we still got a long way to go. But I think that I think if people, I mean, my bias view, if you keep reading the newspaper uh, and uh, keep you know seeking out confirmed facts, I think we're going to get somewhere we want to get to. You mentioned a minute ago, uh, you mentioned a couple of times, uh, confirm facts and only dealing in truth, things that you can confirm are truth. But you also want different perspectives. Do you ever have trouble balancing that where someone, someone may have a different view, but it's also because they've accepted a different set of facts? Well, I mean, we just had this in Broken Arrow. Broken Arrow is a suburb of Tulsa, and their city council has some definite views when it comes to the mask mandate. Mm -hmm and what science says, and what they think. And yeah, we printed the quotes from city council members who had some things to say that some people disagree with, mm. or some would argue many people disagree with. Um, but our thing is, our job was to go to that city council meeting, because you may have not been able to go there, and tell you what happened. Mm -hmm. And this is what elected officials said. We're not there to judge what they say. 
We're there to give you the facts, let you know what happened, let you know what was said in accurate quotes, and then leave it to you to decide. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of those things where we have the news section, and then we have letters to the editor, which we always encourage people to give their thoughts and reactions. And again, I got a couple emails of, I can't believe you let people say this. Mm. Well, when an elected official uh, at a city council says something during an open <laughs> meeting, we print that. And so it, it's one of those things where we, we are not sitting there. We are not the gatekeeper uh, of a lot of what's going on. We are the observer. We are there to document. We are there to confirm. We are there to report. Uh, we're not there to pick what gets in and what gets out. So, yeah, I said, I, I think a lot of people, when they give give me that criticism of, I can't believe that you let this person say this, is, well, we didn't let them say it. They said it. Mm-hmm. We reported on what they said. That classic, don't kill the messenger kind of thing. <laughs> we're just, we're letting you know what these people said. So you can then, if you want to make a, you know, start a petition about them, then you do what you do. We're just letting you know what, what happened. Mm-hmm. So you've mentioned here your parent, as am I. So I'm sure uh, part of parenting is thinking about the future, what you want for your children. If your daughter said, I want to go into journalism, what, what would you say to her? Is there a future in that? Oh, my gosh, yeah. Uh, Jacob, we have more readers than ever in the history of the coastal world. Now, there are digital readers, there's print readers, there's app readers, there's e-edition readers, there's uh, email newsletter readers. There, we're about to start some podcasts uh, in 2021. Uh, we're going to have a, a true crime podcast coming up. We have videos. If you combine all of those audiences together, there are more people reading our journalism than ever before. Mm-hmm. It has been growing. Our website growth up 87% the last, last six years. Wow. We're growing. People are wanting, we have a relevant news report. And yeah, there's absolutely. Right now, my daughter wants to be a teacher. And so many people are like, oh, you don't want to be a teacher. And I'm like, are you kidding me? We need great teachers. Mm-hmm. We, we will always need great teachers. And if you want to be a teacher, I want to support that. I can tell you that I am here because Mrs. Ketchum in fifth grade at Skyline Elementary School. I was the new kid. And she helped me every step of the way because I had the biggest glasses and the biggest dork. <laughs> and uh, people don't believe it, but I didn't talk much. <laughs> and uh, she got me she got me to where I am now. Uh, Jack Lancaster was the advisor of the Ocali for so long and was a father figure to me. And I mean, I can quote things that he said that changed my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my thing is, yes, if you want to be a teacher, if you want to be a journalist, there is a future in everything. And I think that that journalism, there's not only is there a future, I think the golden era is ahead of us. Mm-hmm. I think the golden era is ahead of us. I mean, you, you just need to watch the movie Spotlight mm. and read the series of stories, which I did. I went back and read all those Pulitzer Prize winning stories. That changed the world. Changed the world. Um, the Pulitzer's is kind of like a, a yearly reminder that not only is journalism important, but oh my gosh, there's so much good stuff being done. Uh, so no, I, I am absolutely someone who uh, not only encourages people to follow their passion, but again, I'm a mission guy. Mm-hmm. I, if I don't believe the mission, I can't be all in. Mm-hmm. And I'm an all in kind of guy. I'm all in on the idea that journalism is something that will continue. It has and will continue to be an integral part of the society uh, that 
continues to grow, continues to learn, continues to evolve. I think journalism is essential for that. So yeah, absolutely. You just mentioned a few uh, of your teachers or the mentors, maybe is a better way to put it, when you include Jack Lancaster. How did OSU help you prepare to succeed? So, so let me give you a little idea of what happened here. So I graduated Stillwater High School. My, my dad worked in the engineering department. My mom worked at Central Mailing there on campus. Uh, my dad knew everybody. I couldn't go to lunch with my dad because it would take 30 minutes for us to get to the student union because so many students would stop him. I was the kid from Stillwater High that was like, man, I can't go to OSU. I mean, that's kind of like, I can't do that, right? But then all my friends were doing it. Uh, I had a couple really, really smart ones that went to other places. So the core, I'd say my core group of guys and friends, we all went to OSU. And I got, I, I enjoyed the home-cooked meals, and I could go on campus and get money when I needed to. And uh, it was great. Uh, for me, I, I did two years of engineering. So I actually have a... <laughs> I, I got my degree from, from the journalism school, but I have actually a bachelor of science, one of the only bachelors of science of journalism, because I walked in there with about 47 hours of math after two years of uh, engineering <laughs> school. So uh, Susan Geiser, my advisor there at OSU, she was like, um, you only need like six straight hours of math and you've got 47. So <laughs> we're going to go with a bachelor of science. And uh, so anyway, I did two years of engineering. Then I came over to journalism. The Ocali became my fraternity. Mm. I mean, it truly did. I found myself. I found my tribe. I found people who were, they were so intelligent and so funny and so insightful, lifelong friends. And I started writing. Then I became an editor. And then I became editor-in-chief. And then it, it was, that place was where I grew up. Jason was born there. The passion that I found I, I, it was just, I, it was just a magical place. OSU for me, OSU to me is home. Uh, OSU to me is where I grew up. My dad graduated from OSU back in the '60s, and so it's where it, it helped my dad do all the su- succeeding that he had in his life. He was, he jumped in a Volkswagen Bug in the '60s with two other guys in Binghamton, New York, and then, you know, as of now, OSU has one of the best engineering schools in the country. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, we're going to OSU and place. My dad's like, Ohio State, you know, <laughs> and uh, they're not like, no, there's a place called Oklahoma State. It's still in Oklahoma. And uh, we're going to go, we're going to go to engineering school there. You want to come? And he was like, okay. So my dad in a duffel bag jumped in the backseat of a Volkswagen bus and went from Binghamton, New York to Stillwater. My mom was from uh, southwestern Oklahoma, Tipton, Oklahoma. Mm. And she came to OSU and lived with my aunt and uncle. And they, so these two unlikely people, a Yankee from the big of New York and a sharecropper's daughter in Tiffin, Oklahoma, meet at OSU at Data Pond, like it was written in, the, in, in a novel. And so it's, it's just home to me. Here's what I loved about OSU. Great people who cared, who were willing to help you. Mm. That's what OSU is to me. I mean, I can't tell you how many hours I spent in Jack's office there at the O'Callie of him just giving me the knowledge. Um, and it, but in the way that you didn't feel like you were being lectured to. Great professors. Craig Freeman is, is the director of the journalism school now. You can't ask for a more dedicated, smart guy who gets it. I mean, he he's all over it. So anyway, as I said, it, OSU for me is home, and I think it really it really is who I am. I'm very appreciative uh, and grateful for what I got there. 
I lived at the Ocala, Jacob. Mm. I lived there. <laughs> I, I mean, I'd go to class and yeah, I did the class thing, but uh, I'm telling you, I, I, I learned so much and the people who I, I'm not just Facebook friends with these people. I am loyal friends to these people mm. uh, who I stay connected with. And it's amazing how OSU brings together some small town people and some big town people. And, you know, it's like you bring all these people together and it's amazing what we did together. And it's amazing what we've done as we've gone in our careers. Just an amazing place. And I think in journalism, one advantage you we had is you do it so publicly. Your, oh, mis- yeah. your mistakes are public, but I'll tell you one thing I learned is – I learned early on, like, not everybody's going to like you or appreciate what you do, and that's okay. And that has benefited me so much as a person uh, because I, I know what I do and I know whether I've done a good job or not. And if other people don't like me, I, I'm kind of okay with that. I mean, in general, I don't want people to hate me necessarily, but it's like, well, uh, okay, you, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not a person who has to make friends out of every single person because first of all I, I don't need that many friends I've got a pretty great family and a group of friends and I, I really think that's a lesson you learn practicing journalism in college is like you're going to make mistakes some people are going to see those mistakes that's okay learn from it move on and then when you get out in the quote-unquote real world and you make the mistakes it doesn't shatter you because you've already been through that I, I had some experience in this early in my life. So I was a drummer, Jacob. So <laughs> when you're a drummer and you make a mistake, everybody hears, right? It's not like the third, the third flute on the back row. You know, they can make a mistake. You may not hear the flute, but the drummer, you know, when they make a mistake. So, yeah, I came in from, uh, from being from my drumming days. And when you make a mistake, everyone knows it. Uh, and uh, so, no, that, that was very much the experience. And yeah. When you get something wrong in your story, or 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 something happened not quite right, or whatever, uh, yeah, it's it's. I mean, back then we were publishing thousands and thousands of Ocala's a day, you know, and so yeah, if something happened, uh, everyone read it, everyone saw it. But that also, to me, that sets the standard. The standard is this isn't some research paper that no one's going to read. Right. It's be stuck in some journal that's going to be on a library shelf. This is something that's going to be widely distributed on social media, sent out on email newsletters, pushed out on a push notification on an app, put in print for the rest of eternity. You live forever in journalism. You live forever, just like in movies, uh, just like in entertainment. You live forever. And so, yeah, there that kind of makes you double check a couple things before you hit the send button. <laughs> Uh, but I think I think it's a pretty good standard. You know, unfortunately, you always have to get it done by deadline, and you're never finished, and you're never quite, you know, think it's perfect. But you, you, you dang sure make sure it's right. And speaking of mistakes, you you mentioned Joey Senate earlier. He's still in the journalism school. He was a professor of mine as well, and and I know he liked to tell stories about his time as a reporter, and he would tell us some of the mistakes he'd made, and he'd say, "Learn from my mistake. Don't do this." For example, one that I've always remembered, and I learned many things from him, but one I've always remembered is his story about wearing his dress shoes to, um, I I believe it was like an accident scene or something, and it was all muddy and he ruined his shoes. And he was like, what kind of dummy would be out there in dress shoes when it's all rainy and muddy? And don't do that. Do you have any mistakes you made that you're willing to talk about and say, um, hey, learn from this? 
yeah, you learn from your mistakes more than you do your successes. There was a mistake that I made uh, when I was a writer for the Tulsa, when I was writing for the feature section, where I thought what this guy was telling me was right. Mm. And I did not do the reporting I should have done. Absolutely just didn't do it. And, you know, I thought, oh, this, this, this works. This sounds right. And I just, I'm not going to say I was lazy. I just think that I wasn't double backing and yeah. making sure that I got everything right that this guy was telling me. As I said, you can't default the truth. When you default the truth, you lose control of what, what's going to happen. And so I would say that trusting people who you think, well, they said this and, you know, yeah, that's got to be, that's, that sounds right. I also had a time when I was at Stanford Field College, I was writing a story and I did not call someone who was part of the story. Mm. They weren't in the story, but they were part of it. They were, they were someone who could have answered some of the questions that were still in the story, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and that person called me and couldn't believe I didn't interview him. Couldn't believe that, you know, I'm the person who knows this, this. You interviewed this person who doesn't know anything. And they said they didn't know anything. And when you could have asked me, uh, and I, I would have answered all your, I could have answered every question that you had. That you had and I think that one of the things that we try to do, I know that, you know, now that I'm editing more than I'm writing, is make that one more phone call. Mm. Make make that one more. Yeah, I. They may not know something, but let's just call them anyway. And it's not a giving them a heads up that there's a story. It's it's maybe they know someone who knows somebody, mm-hmm. or maybe they know where to look. I know that there was a story that a source gave me a a case number. It said you want to look up this case number in the files of the courthouse. But again, why would that source want me to know that case number? Right? Mm. You have to do that as a journalist. Okay, what, you know, and when you do that, sometimes it's like, oh, it's because, you know, there's a connection there. There's a bias there. There's something that's, you know, either good or bad. I'm always about making that extra phone call. Just check in one more time with this other person. And again, I think that when you don't do that, when I have done, when I have not done that, I've always had to write the follow-up story. So if you don't do it, your editor is just going to be like, well, you didn't call that guy. Well, now call him and now write another story. And so uh, I think it's really important to always do that. And I think one of the things, I think one of the mistakes I had, and again, this is, I wrote uh, for my high school newspaper, Mm. uh, in my junior high newspaper. I think it's a mistake when you don't take the time to to not just interview someone, but to have a conversation. Mm. But I don't feel like you're interviewing me. I feel like we're having a conversation. Mm. And I think when you get the blood pressure down and when you get the person comfortable, you have to have a meaningful conversation with a stranger. Mm-hmm. And that's a skill set. And I think a lot of mistakes that I see in early writers is they never got the source comfortable. Mm-hmm. They just they were just a reporter from the minute they picked up the phone. I'm Jason Collins with the Tulsa World, and I've got some questions for you. It's like, no, 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 no. I saw this during the May 3rd tornado. I was working for the Associated Press. And that's, that's, that's May 3rd, 1999, right? Yeah, May 3rd, 1999. I was with the Associated Press. So I graduated LSU. Worked for the Associated Press before I came to the Coastal World. And, you know, we're all, there's all these journalists walking up to these neighborhoods that are destroyed. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that Jack Lancaster said many times is keep your notebook in your back pocket and just approach someone like a human. Mm-hmm. Just approach them like a person, not as a journalist and they are a subject and this is a human. Keep the notebook in your back pocket and just go up and start a conversation. Mm-hmm. And you know, I would see these 
TV crews jamming, you know, microphones in people's faces, having the light on, you know, the spotlight on and all this. Instead of just going over and saying, hey, I'm so sorry for all that you've lost. Do you mind sharing your story of where you were, what happened to your family when the tornado happened? You know, having a conversation. Then if they say yes, then grab the notebook out, then turn on the recorder, then turn on the camera. Um, I think you make a mistake when you don't approach a person as a person. And I try not, when I when I talk to people for stories, I try not to say, I'd like to set up an interview. Because mm. what that does, Jacob, to the to the uninitiated, to those who haven't been interviewed very often, is their blood pressure shoots up, they're just anxiety, and they're like, oh my gosh, what is this? Everything I'm going to say is going to be, you know, all yeah. that stuff happens. You deal with this when you interview people for this podcast. So you, you want to make sure you approach them as a person and let them understand. We're going to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. I'm interested. I'm curious. So I think you make mistakes when, when you just you're just thinking, oh, this is Jason Collins of Tulsa World. I have some questions for you. You know, start. Hey, this is Jason Collins, and I'm from the Tulsa World. You know, I, I need your help on something. I'm working on a story, and I think you're the right person to talk to about these things. When you start the conversation like that, then their blood pressure goes down, their anxiety goes down, and they can they can talk. I, yeah, I think you're exactly right about that. And I also think uh, even when you're not practicing journalism, whatever you're doing in your life, there's so many times that you need something from someone. You get so much more help if you are a person, if they see you as a person, because they know they know you see them as a person. And they they might go the extra mile. They might go, you didn't even ask me for this document, but I have this. Here you go. Exactly. That, it's so beneficial. And that is also a lesson I've learned in journalism. Well, and Andrew Eager, I was talking about the epic, you know, I'm going to start a video series where I'm going to talk about the stories behind the stories mm. with every one of our writers and reporters. And the first one I'm going to do with Andrea, and, and Andrea has broken two or three stories just because people knew, A, she was serious, mm. B, she's good at what she does, and C, they liked her. <laughs> and they're like, hey, here's this thing, or hey, why don't you look over here, or hey, that that's absolutely, that's mm. that's relationship building. Yes, uh, and that's what we do here. That's what that's what our journalists do here. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. One thing I wrote down was advice for others. I feel like you've kind of been hitting that all throughout, but we have a lot of students who listen, whether they're journalism students or just OSU students. Is there any advice you'd like to pass on to them? I'm saying this now as and I I, I talked to a high school class last week, a high school journalism class at James last week, and I said I challenge you to read more than you talk. Mm. Because right now, when you're a student, again, hopefully you'll always remember, you're always going to be a student. I'm learning stuff every day, and and my reading list, uh, you don't read less when you get older. (laughs) You've got to keep up with stuff. Because you've got to know, if you're good, you know what your boss is going to ask. So you you need to know the answer. Mm. You know what? I bet my boss is going to ask about this. This is kind of going around. Let me become the expert on it. So when they ask me, I can be like, oh, yeah, da 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 I'm taking pride in doing that every day of my life and my career. I'm always reading, I'm always learning new stuff. I get tons of email newsletters on all kinds of topics related to media and stuff. So I know all that stuff. My advice is to read more than you talk. Just try it for a week. Try the Jason experiment for a week. Hmm. Read more than you talk and see how you are at the end of that week. Because right now what I think happens a lot and I just did intern interviews. These are students at OSU, OU, TU, ORU, Arkansas, UCO. I just got done talking to about 80 students. Mm. And one of the common things and the advice that I gave them is it doesn't seem like in your writing that you read enough. Mm. 
if you want to become a better writer, you've got to do better reading. It's, it, I can tell in your sentences, in the structure, and how you form things, and how you think things, that you, you need to read more. You need to read more journalism. You need to read more, uh, watch more documentaries. Because I think that there, and again, this was true for my generation too, you just skip out on that stuff, and you're so busy socializing and watching movies that are fiction, and you're not consuming what you what you want to do for your profession. Mm-hmm. And I would say for the non-journalism uh, students, I think the experiment would help you too, whatever profession you do, because you do better when you know better. I mean, that, that's a that's a truism. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I find a lot of people saying, oh, I didn't know this. Oh, I didn't know this. The other thing is, is that so many of the college students are still not doing video. Mm-hmm. Although they're sitting there watching TikTok videos and they're sitting there watching YouTube videos. And they're sitting there watching videos all the time on their iPad. They're not producing their own. Mm. Video has to be an integral part. You are a storyteller. You either do text or photos or video or audio or whatever you do. You've got to do more video because sometimes people don't want to read something. They want to watch it. Yeah. And so that's what we have. That's kind of the, some of the culture changes we're having here at the Tulsa world. What do we want to, what do people want to read? Okay. Let's make that the text. What do they want to see? Let's make that the photos. What do they want to watch? Let's make that the video. What do they want to hear? Let's make that the audio. And when you do that, then you sometimes, for some for some things, I don't want to read it. I want to watch it. Mm. So I don't want to read a document. I don't want to read about this topic, but I do want to watch a, doc- a documentary on it. It's really visual. And so some of the sticky labels out there are multimedia journalists. Mm. Uh, I had to remind some of the multi people who identified themselves on the resume as multimedia journalists that multi means more than one. <laughs> So don't just send me your clips of what you wrote. If you are, if you say on your resume you're a multimedia journalist, then I need to see your YouTube channel. Mm. I need to see your photography. You need to have a portfolio. You need to do some podcasts. Cost you zero dollars to start podcasting. Mm. Zero. So that's what some of the advice is. You got to go do it. You got to go go out there and try it. Maybe you're a great photographer and you don't even know it. You know, John Clanton, our photo editor. He was a writer before he became a photographer. Mm. He's one of the best photographers in the country. He started as a writer, but he didn't even know that he liked photography until he tried it. Kelly Kerr, working for the Ocali Media Group. Kelly Kerr was a business student, a marketing student. And someone came up to take his picture for something for the Ocali. And he was like, what's this all about? Like, you can make a living doing photography? What? And Kelly Kerr is one of the best photographers and videographers working in America today. Facts. So I say this, and again, my sometimes I've had a couple of people like, I can't believe you said this. You've got to be a quitter. You should be the <laughs> biggest quitter on the planet. Try <laughs> things and quit them. Try it, quit it, try it. Quit. I hated be. My mom wanted me to be a piano player mm. for three years. She made me do piano lessons. Jacob, I'm a drummer. <laughs> In my core. Can you imagine a drummer trying to play piano? It was horrible. Horrible. <laughs> Mrs. Wilburn was the nicest person, but she just she just stole my parents' money. Absolutely <laughs> stole it. And guess what? I tried piano. I didn't like it, so I tried drums, and I liked it. Mm. But you don't know what you like until you try it. And I think so many times, and again, I've had, I just interviewed 80 college students. So this is very fresh. I said, have you tried something different mm. lately? You got the writing down. You're a good writer. Go do some photography. Go do some videos. Go do some podcasts. 
And they're like, oh, well, you know, I, yeah, multimedia journalist. <laughs> I'm not going to hire any reporter in America that doesn't have video experience mm. at this news organization. Because we are a new, news organization that also makes a paper, that also makes a website, that also makes apps, that also is going to be doing podcasts, that also does video. We are a news organization that does all those things. I'm not just looking for a, a print newspaper writer. Mm. They don't exist anymore. You have to be able to get And so my advice would be try some stuff, quit stuff all the time. You should be the biggest quitter on the planet. Again, try it, see if you like it. If you don't, quit it, go on to something else. Again, I, I mentioned Susan Geiser. I mentioned mm. Jack Lancaster. I mentioned Craig Freeman. The, you mentioned Joey. Yeah, Dr. Sennett. And, and what's interesting is that colleges are amazing places. There's not many places where people are there willing to give their time, share their knowledge. John Helsley's doing a great job as the advisor of the O'Callaghan House. He and I talk all the time. Uh, I love how what John is doing, what he's building there at the O'Callaghan. The O'Callaghan has a long, long history of being there. And from being the first place that wrote about Garth Brooks to uh, there's not a speech department anymore because of the O'Callaghan, because of what the O'Callaghan found out was happening. There's stories after stories I can think of. I was there during Jim Halligan's days, and they were great days. He was an amazing president, an amazing man. I'm just so glad that you welcomed me onto the show because, again, I I owe OSU a lot. And I'm so glad I've been able to teach there, was a guest lecturer in the journalism school several times here at Stillwater and at OSU Tulsa. I really appreciate what I've done there, what I've been able to do because of what I did there. So many people who gave of themselves to give to me. Just honored and grateful. Absolutely. I'd like to thank Jason for joining me for this episode. If you have any feedback, you can contact us at pokespodcasts at okstate.edu. Remember, there's no T in Pokes Podcasts. And with that, we'll end as we always do with the question, how do the arts and sciences make the world a better place? What's amazing is if you really divide everything up, it's either an art or a science. Really, if you take everything and put it in in two categories, it's an art and a science. And they both interact so many times. They interact in our technology, they interact in our culture. I find myself continuing to study art and science, all kinds of art and all kinds of science. I think if you look, you really dig in the dirt and look in the roots, of what makes our society and our culture what it is. Those roots are in arts and sciences. They really are. I think they make the world a better place because one is a, the, the truest version of what we know, right? Science is what we know now. We know more than we did 50 years ago. Before, you know, And we thought this was a thing, but then this test came out or DNA came out or this came out. And so that it's continuing to evolve. And I love that. There are some things that are constant, but there are so many variables, right? Mm. And when it comes to arts, I'll tell you that I, I'm a fan of art, the art form, paintings, the drawings, all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, the, there's so much the art of journalism, if you will, the art of, I like to also build furniture, the art of building furniture, the art of, there are so many things. What I like about that too is that it's so different and can be so different. It's fixed so many forms. It just makes it rich. But again, it, it's so funny that you, when you asked me that question to be prepared for it, I, I thought of, you know what, if you divide pretty much everything up, it, it's, 
the roots are those two things. Mm -hmm. And I know that I spent many, many hours in my arts and sciences uh, college years getting some very interesting perspectives and thoughts, whether it be humanities or whatever, what you know, different things that um, that I, I go back to some of those moments and some of those times that professors just got so passionate about whatever it is that they were teaching. Mm -hmm. You remember those passionate moments. It, it launches that adrenaline in your mind and creates that memory. What's great is that they both inspire passion. They really do. My gosh, I remember an architecture class. There's some, you know, one of those general architecture classes that everyone takes. And the guy's, the guy's crying. He's tearing up. And I'm like, we're talking about buildings, man. We're talking about buildings. What, what, are, you, what, are, you, what are you trying to squirt some for? I'm, you know, you're talking about some, this motif of a building and everything. But, man, he was, he was in it. He was, he was talking from his heart. And, you know, we laughed at him back in the day. But I can tell you, 25 years later, I get it. I totally get it. He is so immersed. He was so immersed into what he what he believed. His mission was to to relay that, to let you know that architecture is important or whatever it was that he was talking about. And I totally get it. I, I I'm a passionate guy too. I live and breathe this stuff. I've got my dream job, and I cannot believe that I have the the chance, the opportunity. I'm so honored. Like I said my daughter and I did a grateful journal for a long time, and you think, oh, you're great, you know, you're grateful for a couple things. But man, she and I were able to fill up pages and pages and pages and pages. The more that you wrote, the more that you thought about it. Uh, just a very grateful guy. Very much appreciate the world we live in, which is certainly a world of lots of time.